Can you send me packing down Green River Valley? I knew that if you couldn't, then no one would have lost myself drinking with those stray dogs in the attic. Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse. I've been on the road, beat down to my soul, as Jack Kerouac said, and I don't have a microphone with me or any of that fancy shit, Um, so you might notice a lo-fi quality this week as I record from my buddy's house in Denver. Um, But after a few episodes of talking with my childhood heroes like Bill Stevenson from The Descendants and Black Flag and uh, Dick Lucas from The Subhumans. I have a new young local hero of mine on the show, drummer Forrest Raup of the great boulder-bred hard rock band Pink Fuzz, which has a new record coming out in January and a record release show at the Bluebird Theater in Denver on January 13th. Uh, There is suffering going on all over the world right now, and it's a hard time. And there is suffering in many of our little sad personal lives. So talking about drums with Forrest felt like a a palliative for me, and hopefully it will for you too. Um, Just as an aside, please don't be on any sides right now unless you're on the side of peace. I've been telling my incredible 13-year-old daughter lately that when you're going through a crisis, no matter the ups and downs you have with the people closest to you, you find out in your deepest, darkest moments of need who your angels are. And you remember and appreciate those angels the rest of your life. Uh, Don't ever wait around for anyone to tell you whether or not they care about you. They have a chance to show you that every single day. So listen carefully. Life is short. Give love and receive love, especially in these times of crisis and suffering. Um, I haven't always been able to do either of those things. Maybe because of all the fucking sad music I listen to. Anyway, that's that's uh, probably the heaviest we've got on <laughs> Mile High Stash. But um, I appreciate you listening. And um, it always helps to leave um, a review at Apple Podcasts or to drop um, even a few dollars to help us out to keep the show going at uh, milehighstash.com or at adamice9 on Venmo. Here's my chat with Forrest Raup, the behemoth Pink Fuzz drummer who I caught up with a few days ago during his tour with Celtic Thunder. Uh, Pink Fuzz plays the Bluebird Theater in Denver on January 13th. And, um, oh yeah, um, I'm playing the Caribou Room in Nederland on Saturday, October 28th, playing drums with Rolling Harvest. Um, if you want to come say hi. All right. I'll see you on the other side of my chat with Forrest Raup of Pink Fuzz. I guess living the bad life. 
What's up, dude? Yo, how's it going, Adam? It's going. Are you f- familiar with the podcast at all? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've uh, listened to a couple episodes, oh. and I know th- I know the premise. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. All right, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Um, really. I'm going through some shit right now in my life, and I wanted to cheer myself up by talking about the drums. I think that. Oh, uh, hell yeah. That'll do really, the trick, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forrest Raup. Um, yes. I, I believe you are a native of Boulder and you went to like Horizons. I went to uh, Foothill Elementary, if we're talking uh, elementary schools here. <laughs> okay. And that's where you yeah. met Lulu and John? Yes, sort of. Like we knew each other there. We were both at Foothill Elementary at the same time. And like John was in my brother's class, mm-hmm. which was two years above me. Lulu was one grade above me. Um, but it wasn't really until like we got into music later down the road in our into our teenage years that we like actually became friends and started playing music together. Yeah. Well, what's it like to be in a band? Um, Pink Fuzz, I believe, formerly Bandits, formerly branded Bandits. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I've seen its uh, yeah its evolutions for sure. Yeah. Well, what's it like to be in a band with these people that you've known since you were, I don't know. 10 uh it's a dream honestly like we all just know each other so well like it feels like home when like especially after like going out on other tours and like working in so many other facets like going back to pink fuzz just kind of feels like coming home you know it's Mm -hmm. like both musically and personally like we connect on a on a level that's uh yeah kind of unparalleled i'd say Hmm. and you have a new record coming out yeah, so we have a new record um, that's fully recorded, um, and we are just uh, kind of in the mixing process right now. So we don't have any like set um, release dates or anything, hmm. but uh, but it's pretty much in the bag. And then we have a couple new singles that we recorded just on our own, kind of DIY in my home studio and John's home studio. Yeah, just between those kind of like <clears throat> tracking live and then bouncing files back and forth kind of a combination of both and those are going to be coming out uh sooner like i believe in uh january pink fuzz has like one full-length studio record out and one live album is that right and then a lot of singles yeah yeah we got one full length one uh ep and i think Man, it's been a long journey. Well, there's and this then, like in the live album, yeah, yeah, live at uh, Silo Sound. Yeah, yeah, live at a recording. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah. It, it's just just ripping. It's so amazing. I love that record. Thanks, man. It's funny listening back to that record because something kicked into gear for us. Like after that, like once we started playing shows again after the pandemic, and we just started playing all those songs mm-hmm. so much faster. yeah I don't know I don't know why but so now every time we listen back to that album it just feels like painfully slow to us but but that being said I do I'm still proud of that record and I think it's uh I think it's good it captured a really good performance what does the new album sound like um it is you know like kind of similar veins to to our everything else we've done Mm -hmm. um it's still that kind of like driving pink fuzz straight ahead 
mm-hmm. high energy kind of stuff. But I'd say it's a little more polished. Um, mm-hmm. We went a little deeper into the production side of things. Um, and um, we worked with uh, this producer, Kevin, um, from Black Pistol Fire. I don't know if mm-hmm. you know that band. I've heard um, of them. I don't think I've ever heard of them. Yeah, we've done some touring with them, and um, they're super great. So he was on board to kind of help us uh, with production on this album. And we did mm-hmm. it at a studio in Austin with this whiz of an engineer, engineer mm-hmm. um, named Nicky Knobs. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it was just a little bit of a different process working with new people, going into like a, a commercial studio that was in Austin, kind of far mm-hmm. away from home. So all that kind of just kicked us into a different gear as well, I think. Does the new album have a name yet? Um, the, it's, uh, it, is, it does not have a name, not yet, no. Okay. What's it like to play uh, heavy music in an area where there's not really an embrace of heavy music? I mean, you're from Boulder. There's nowhere for right. you guys to play in Boulder. There's literally nowhere. Maybe the yeah. Fox, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely interesting coming up in Boulder in that scene. Like at the same time, I didn't know anything else at the time growing up in Boulder. And we did have a few bands that were like, um, that we really looked up to mm-hmm. mostly, uh, Rose Hill Drive, you yeah. know, and they were like this beacon of light in Boulder that kind of, uh made it be like oh like you you can be a rock band and you kind Mm. of you can kind of like get out of boulder doing that um so so there was that but yeah um at the same time like nowadays it's it's a little disheartening how there um just is such a lack of places to play and a lack of like scene for there to be any sort of like cultivation of of new new rock bands or really any type of bands um so that is a little a little disheartening but uh but i think when i was coming up we 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 had a a decent decent scene to uh kind of uh just get going and you know we had gigs here and there we could play and at at that age that was kind of enough Mm. for us to, to really get going yeah well i remember lulu and john when I was playing with the Yoppers and we were just starting and we would play Thursday nights at the No Name Bar, uh, Lulu and John were probably in high school and they would stand outside or try to sneak in. And that was as close to like rock as we had in Boulder. But then there was like Westwater Outlaws. Yeah, and they were you know? big for us too. Like they were they were mm-hmm. a few years older than us when we were starting. and. Similar to Roseville Drive, we like looked up to them and saw that they were like playing big shows at the Fox. And yeah. so that kind of lit a fire underneath us as well. But that's why you guys are on the road so much too. Yes. You know? Yes, that is true. And I feel like that all that being said, um, the lack of heavy music in Boulder kind of, yeah, inspired us to just get out of Boulder and be like, all right, well, there's nowhere to play here let's let's go let's hit the road yeah 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 the first time that i met you i think was the first time i saw you play 
you okay. were playing with Eldrin, and I was playing with Gasoline Lollipops at, mm-hmm. at, at Foco MX at Hody's and maybe 2016. And all checks out. Yeah. You play. <laughs> yeah. You, you were your your set was before us or after us. I don't remember. But you know, I got up there and played my Neanderthal punk rock drums. <laughs> and then there was you, and I don't know what were you, 16 or 17 or something like that? Uh, no, at that point I was a bit older. Um in 2016, I would have uh-huh. been that was probably right around when I started playing with Eldrin. So I was probably like 20 or 21. Oh gosh. Um yeah. well you looked about 16 or 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before and I, I was, really grew. I was just like, well, this guy is on another level. And and I wanted to know, like, you know, when did you start to play the drums? Um, obviously, unlike me, you like took lessons, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So I want to ask you uh, all of that now. Like, when did you start to play the drums and, and what was your journey to um, um, being in bands and doing session work and yeah. all that stuff? Um, so my dad is a drummer as well. Oh, um, yeah, he doesn't play like he doesn't take it seriously anymore, but he he was pretty serious about it in his, um, you know, like teenage years and into his early 20s. Yeah. Um, but he never got rid of his his drum set. So really from like some of my earliest memories actually are just like going into this little like back studio we had behind our house growing up and just like wailing on the drums and just being like mesmerized at how loud they could be. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Friends would come over and I'd be like, check this out and just like <laughs> smash the cymbal and we'd be like, Oh my God. So loud. Um, so yeah. Drums have kind of just been around as, as long as I can remember, but what kind of a I drum was, set does he have? He had an old Ludwig kit, like sixties Ludwig, yeah. which like for Sweet. the longest for the first like 10 years I was playing, like I didn't give it a shit um, about what that was. And also he had stripped the finish. It was originally a silver sparkle finish, Mm -hmm. um, which is like so sought after now, you know, this like 60 silver sparkle Ludwig. But yeah, he just stripped the finish off and didn't do the best job. So like it left a lot of kind of like rashes on the, on the wood and stuff. Mm But uh, the kit sounded great, and that's the kind of the kit that I grew up playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then I was around eight years old, I think, when I I saw a kid play drums at the talent show. And so shout out to Matt Cook. You're nice. This. No idea what you're doing right now, yeah. but uh, it's all because of you, Matt Cook. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he... Uh, um, I was just like, oh, that's so cool. And I had just had a drum set at home. So that's when I kind of like actually started studying and taking lessons at the at the Boulder Drum Shop. Yeah, with Billy. Um, actually, I didn't study with Billy. I studied with uh, Christian Teal. You know oh, Christian? yeah. The E-Town yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. E-Town house drummer and just like one of the greatest session players in the state for sure. Um. So I took lessons with him really on and off uh, until I was like 18. So for like 10 years, really. Wow. Um, yeah. So he's a great teacher. 
But you went to college too in, in Denver, is that right? Yeah, so I actually did go to um, Berkeley College of Music for one year. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm, straight out of high school. Um, so that would have been 2013. Just did one year there and then um, moved back to Denver. Originally, my plan was to just kind of like take a year off mm -hmm. and uh, go back to Berkeley and finish up. But I kind of got sidetracked once I started playing with bands and touring and stuff. And I was like, ah, I'm not going back. But yeah. I did eventually uh, finish up my undergrad at CU Denver doing the uh, audio engineering. Right, program. right, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what has your practice routine been since since age eight basically like do you play every day do you always play every day uh, I try as much as I can um and it's it really ebbs and flows um I think like the like a general description though would be like studying whatever my teachers would give me and and combining that with just like playing along with music that I love um, yeah so it was always more of that, to be honest. It was like, that's what I would want to do. You know, I'd get home from school and like be like, all right, I'm going to just put on Muse or Nirvana mm -hmm. or whatever I was into and uh, just like smash along with it. And mm -hmm. I, but I would try and like learn, I would like be really meticulous and I would try and learn like a song note for note, like exactly mm -hmm. how, how I heard it as best as I could. Um, and then, but yeah, I think combining that with like the more like rudimentary stuff that like I'd be working on with teachers was like a really good kind of healthy combination. Yeah. I mean, I, like a lot of people was kind of like the drummer character in, um, freaks and geeks where i would play along yes. with music whether it was on headphones or just like playing music super loud you know i would i would put on led zeppelin or metallica or something and, and be playing along but that's not enough because the, once you're not playing along to something and you are the time then you're like oh shit this is completely different so how did you balance that that's a good question um I think probably just from starting to play with people at a really early age, mm. um, like right around when I started taking lessons, I also started doing this uh, thing called doghouse music, which I'm sure yeah. you're familiar with. Yeah. yeah, they're still mm. around and like they mm -hmm. still have rehearsal studios and they just kind of started doing shows there too. I played a oh. show at their, at their newest um, little, they kind of are turning one of their, studios into a little venue it's really cool um but back in the day they were like school of rock before school of rock was a thing and they would yeah. do these like five day summer camps for kids where you would mm -hmm. go in and like like uh join a band and you'd have an instructor that would like help you write songs or put covers mm -hmm. together and there would be like a performance at the end of the week for all the parents that whole thing yeah um so that was like my first experience really playing with people and then I also joined a band when I was like 11 called Flip Crash. Flip Crash. And, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. And we actually like, I was lucky to find these kids. Like it was me and uh, a singer songwriter and who played guitar and sang and a bass player. And he was a really good songwriter. For yeah. Being, uh, we were all like 11 years old and he like just had an act for it. And 
So we actually got to play some sweet gigs. Like we played the Fox wow. in the Boulder Theater. Yeah, <laughs> we were like nice. 11 years old. Nice. So I think that really gave me like a jump start. And, uh, and we also kind of worked with this. We had like somewhat of a coach, this guy named Mendel, mm-hmm. who uh, was kind of like our mentor and just like taught us how to play with dynamics, taught wow. us how to like arrange songs. And that was probably the most like valuable experience at that age wow. was to, to just like be in an actual band, playing actual gigs under like a mentorship um, from like a really amazing musician and a really cool guy that we all look up, looked up to. So yeah, I think that's probably what really like kind of uh, put that rhythmic stamp into my head at a yeah. early, early age. Yeah. I saw you play with Hunter James um, at the magic rat during Foco MX this year mm-hmm. and when I watch you play it's like how people talk about when Led Zeppelin was first starting out and they would play really small places all, all these drummers who were later famous would go just to watch like John Bonham's feet you know right. and I feel like that when I'm watching you play and um, who do you feel that way about like who is who are the like the five drummers on your Mount Rushmore. Oh, that's so hard. Um, I mean, you said John Bonham. He is kind mm. of at the top, you know, as he is for everyone. Mm. Um, Dave Grohl, definitely up there. They're kind of my rock heroes. Mm. Um, I got super into, this is a more obscure one, the drummer for Dr. Dog, his name is Eric Slick. He's great, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he really kind of just like, think he's a super underrated drummer like i think he should be on the cover of drum magazine but he's not (laughs) you know yeah um just watching him play like really changed how i think of like being relaxed when you play like Mm, first time i saw dr dog i thought of drums as just like dave Grohl bash like Mm. go crazy and then i saw him play and like he like still had such good energy and hit the drum so hard, but he was so relaxed when he was yeah. playing. And that like kind of opened a door for me. Um, I'd say Bernard Purdy has made his way onto that list as well. Do you watch, um, um, you know, you can go on YouTube and watch Purdy's in- instructional videos. And, yes. you know, he's talking about the drums and you know how to play certain beats but then the terms that he uses is like you know give it a little sugar give it a little you know over here it's like, and he's like oh yeah isn't that isn't that nice it's, oh my god that is an iconic video yeah. like even for people who don't play drums i feel like they can get mm-hmm. so much joy out of that video yeah and i think that's probably yeah. such a big reason of like why he was so successful is because i imagine he just lit up the, the room mm-hmm. in whatever session he was a part of like you can just yeah. tell by watching that video that he was nothing but a joy to be around and just probably yeah. brought that energy to every record he was on you know totally um so i guess that's for um fifth who's it gonna be um i feel like i always just get stumped when i get asked this question um i think i'll throw steve gadd on there yeah. Just like another one of the session guys who could kind of do it all, you know. He was like an amazing jazz player, played with like 
all the elite jazz musicians, but then just played a backbeat on like a Paul Simon record when he needed yeah. to as well. And just like that spectrum right. to me is, is like something that I, uh, I strive, strive for, I'd say, in my playing. Yeah, like what should people expect to get, you know, when they hear about you and they say, I want you to play on my album? What is your sort of slogan? Like, like what do you bring to the table? Um, well, I'd say, I don't know, maybe it sounds a little cliche, but like definitely just serving the song is, mm-hmm. is the most important thing to me. And like, I think that's probably, I would say if I had to like, uh, yeah, I guess my elevator pitch would be just that I, I am, I have a knack for like, um, for just supporting the song and like kind of giving shape to a song. And I think that's something um, people have told me they enjoy about my playing is that like, I just kind of have a good knack for uh, just how a song should kind of arc and flow. And, uh, and that's like, I guess, I think that's my favorite part about recording too. It's just like taking a shell of the song and really like bringing it to life. Yeah. And you seem to be someone who also has many shells. Like you literally, when you work with an artist on an album, you're, you're like, maybe I'll try this snare drum. What do you think about that? Or I'll try this bass drum. And um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's always just, um, I don't think that's like the most important part about being a session drummer, but I think it's like, yeah, the more like tools you have in your, your toolkit, the more you can kind of like just try different flavors and uh and so yeah i am i i have probably like four snare drums to choose from and like mm-hmm. and three kits so between those yeah um and i'm constantly yeah just like switching out for whatever i think will serve the song the best yeah and and also talk to me a little bit about i mean my experience is that a lot of drummers who are very very trained they can play on an album, you know, and there's compression and you don't see their energy and all that. And it, and it sounds good, you know, but then in a live setting, those drummers who are extremely trained uh, lots of times don't know how to bring the energy that's necessary for heavy music or punk rock music and stuff right. like that. So how did you learn to do both? Um, I think... I think probably going back to like what I was talking about earlier, just like kind of since I started playing, being able to balance, like, like I just have had the pleasure of of studying with like some really great drummers. So like Mm -hmm. between studying with Christian all those years um, and then studying with some of the drummers I got to study with at Berkeley and then CU Denver, I just learned a lot of the, um, I guess like classically trained yeah. elements of like rudiments and different genres. Um, and then I, I've always kind of combined that with just having a passion for rocking out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So that was just kind of like, uh, that's just in my musical DNA. It's because from the moment I picked up the drums, I just w- was watching drummers like John Bonham and David mm-hmm. Roll. And I was like, that's, what I want to do so I think yeah just like having a healthy balance of, of those two 
thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really valuable. Okay. So five, five albums that you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event mm -hmm. of a zombie apocalypse. Okay. You want me to Ready? just fire away all five? Go for it. Okay. Um, first one is going to be uh, Either Or by Elliot Smith. Oh, wow. This is very surprising. Yeah. I'm going to start out with the what, what you might not expect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Why that one? Uh, that album, like maybe more so than any other, has just like passed the test of time for me. I've always just like had a soft spot for for Elliot Smith and that album. Um, and I just feel like there's, I've never heard like a more genuine songwriter where like mm. who they are just comes through in the songs and there's no ego or like mm. anything between him and like his true self and what you're hearing um so yeah that's a huge one for me i've always loved that record um stay away from the heroin though if you're gonna be <laughs> yeah you're gonna be listening to elliot smith i don't, I don't know you might go down a bad path <laughs> yeah i know people uh a lot of people can't do a lot of elliot smith because it is it's obviously heavy yeah. heavy stuff but uh I guess that's that's part of why I love it too. It's just uh, again, just such genuine emotion in his uh, in his writing. Um, all right, and then I'm gonna go with you know more uh, uh, one you might you know expect a little more cliche. Gotta bring a Beatles album. All right. Um, and I'd probably pick the White album, just cause it's the longest, and I'm gonna need. A lot of music to listen to <laughs> yeah and i i think that album has a little bit of everything for yeah for beetle yeah. lovers i told you about strawberry fields you know the place where nothing is real well here's another place you can go where everything grows. is that an album that you listened to growing up not really, actually. I did, like, I loved the Beatles growing up. I was actually, like, they were one of my first obsessions, like, as a little mm -hmm. kid. I loved the Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's, those are the, like, I associate that album and some of their, like, like help. Those are, like, the more nostalgic albums. Mm -hmm. But then I discovered the White Album uh, a little later on, like, in high school. Um, yeah. Well, but I still kind of get that nostalgic Beatle feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of serving the song, I mean, Ringo's like the ultimate. Oh yeah, and actually, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and put Ringo on that on that Mount Mount Rushmore Rushmore. drummer. Yeah. yeah, I don't know yeah. how I left him out. He's a yeah. he's the master of serving the song. I'd yeah, say. and uh, and just like listening to his evolution from like the first Beatles record to mm. to the last is uh, yeah, very inspiring. One of my uh, all-time favorite studio performances by a drummer is in my life by the Beatles and mm -hmm. Ringo barely plays I mean and yeah. what he's doing is just like floating and um he's serving the song he's not 
doing anything to try to impress anybody or make himself yeah. sound good. And it's, oh, it's, totally. it's so beautiful. That's so valuable. Yeah. I honestly feel that way about Meg White as well. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm an, and I'm actually in Detroit as we speak. So shout oh, out yeah. to Meg White. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, like she obviously gets such a bad rap, but like if those, if like any of the White Stripe songs like had any other drummer playing on them, like they wouldn't sound like White Stripe songs, you know? That's just they would so sit, part of their sound. They would sound like Rock on Tour songs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's another huge one for me, though, too. I love Patrick Keeler. Yeah. Fantastic. His, like, jazzy uh, jazzy take on, on heavy rock drumming was, mm-hmm. was pretty big for me, too. Yeah. Um, All right, so that's, so that's two. Okay, yeah. And then I'm going to throw uh, Songs for the Deaf by Queens of the Stone Age on oh, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to me, that's like Dave Grohl at his finest. Mm-hmm. And I just love the songs on that album too. Just all the like, I don't know, Queens of the Stone Age in that era felt more like um, it wasn't just like the Josh Tommy mm-hmm. show. It was like, it's more like a collective band and there's like four different lead singers throughout the album. And yeah. Um, so it's just such a roller coaster and it just pumps me up, I'd say, more than more than any other album out there. That would be good music if you're fighting the zombies too. <laughs> yeah. You know? I know. And I wasn't sure, like, yeah, there's so yeah. many takes on this. Like, yeah, what yeah. what music are the zombies gonna hate the most? You know, that's what music I should probably bring. <laughs> You'll find out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and then let's see. Um I'm going to throw, this one is a little riskier because I haven't known this album for, t- for nearly as long, um, but I'm kind of obsessed with uh, this newer artist, Madison Cunningham. Have you checked oh, her out? No. Yeah, she's like this incredible singer and guitar player and songwriter. And um, yeah, not much more I can say other than she will blow your mind between her guitar playing and her songwriting. And her her singing and her band is incredible. All the session players she has on her records are incredible. Um, so yeah, her first she has two full length albums out now, and the first one is called "Who Are You Now." I think I'd have to bring that one up just because I haven't been able to get enough of it for a, for a couple years now. Wow, we have a Mile High Stash playlist on Spotify. You know where we okay. put one song from each choice um on there so i'll make sure to put madison cunningham on there so people can check her out totally yeah Yeah, she's incredible yeah um and then let's see was that how many was that that was four four okay um i think i'm gonna have to bring zeppelin record too i think that without without a little john bonham in my life i'd I'd be sad (laughs) Which, which one though? Um, I'm gonna go with Zeppelin Four. Yeah, just because it has you know so many of the hits. So many of my favorite uh, Bonham groups are on that album. When the levee breaks. 
when the levee breaks. Those to me, that's like the best, best drum tones ever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure if they recorded the drums on that the way that they did on Physical Graffiti, you know. But um, I know that on that record, at least, um, they rented like a concert hall, and it was empty, mm -hmm. and they put the drums in there, and that's where they track the drums, and that's, that's cool. That's part of how they got the, you know, if, if this is really nerdy for the pe for the people who are drum nerds, but you know. Yeah. If, um, if you take a Ludwig Superphonic six and a half by 14 and you put it in a shitty bedroom studio, it's actually going to sound awful. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, because there, there's so many overtones, you know, and so mm -hmm. to get that classic Led Zeppelin sound, you know, they had to use huge rooms. Yeah. I heard that they recorded when the levee breaks in the uh, stairwell of mm. a castle actually Whoa. yeah they went and they're like hey where do you want to record how about a castle because they could yeah <laughs> they right, had the right. budget for that yeah. and uh and so yeah i think they set up the drums in this like really i could be wrong about this but i think it was like a very um narrow but like tall mm. uh like stairwell and so i think the slapback that you're hearing right on that is like natural slapback that he's actually just like playing off of um so pretty pretty iconic yeah everyone's tried to capture that vibe and that sound you know for the last 50 60 years or whatever but no one has has quite been able to do it no but you now you can just cheat you can punch it into pro tools and be like i, I want to have oh, yeah. that sound that's kind of reverb plug-in on yeah good to go baby yeah <laughs> um you are like so i mean obviously um if you're going to work with a lot of artists on the road and session work you got to be really reliable and word would get around fast if you weren't and you know you're obviously doing an interview at 8 a.m and you're <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't known you to be the falling down drunk. Um, well, one of my first things that I knew about music was when I was like five and I, and I started listening to uh, my dad's copy of, um, Led Zeppelin one that he got in, in the national guard. And, and I don't know if he should have told me this, but he said, Oh, their drummer died in a pool of his own vomit you know <laughs> and yep. that's not you so did you always set out to kind of turn the common trope about the wild and crazy drummers on its head uh i don't know i don't think i ever uh set out to do such a thing now yeah. but i do think that like obviously such a different era back then and I, another thing like on a somewhat different note that i find fascinating about john bonham is like no one knows what he sounds like outside of Led Zeppelin, you know? Right, right. Which yeah. I find so fascinating because he is like the, pretty much like the holy grail of drummers. Mm. Yet we all know him in this like one other facet and it's almost like impossible to picture him in, in like a set, like a session setting. Like, right. You know? well, the other, the other guy like that is Lars Ulrich. Sure. And 
he might actually be terrible. Like if you if, if you sat him down, he were like, okay, play this Latin groove, Lars, or like play a session with some pop star. That might not go well. <laughs> like, right. You know. And I feel like I've heard stories too about Bonham of like him uh, getting kicked out of bands before mm -hmm. Zeppelin because he played too loud. And right. Maybe right. he was super drunk too. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But whatever he did, he made it work with Zeppelin for sure. Um, but yeah, and and on back back to your kind of original question there, I think uh, I think yeah, it didn't take long to just realize the value of like being reliable and yeah. and doing your homework. And I think that's honestly half half the job. Like you just kind of um, you know hear about how they're like just these amazing killer drummers, but they might show up to rehearsal and like not really know the material or kind of yeah. half-ass it. And like most people would take like maybe a not as good drummer who shows up like knowing the songs over an incredible yeah. drummer who is just like trying to like hack his way through the song, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that is, yeah, you know, like just half the battle right there. Is being reliable and doing your homework and showing up on time and all that stuff. Yeah, well, kudos to you, props to you, because that's, I mean, there aren't that many people who are technically good and know how to rock out and bring the energy, but then there aren't many people who can do both of those things and, you know, show up on time and, and not uh, choke on their own vomit, you know, that, that, kind, of thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. Um, totally. The last thing I want to ask you is is just you know about all the artists that you play with. You're on tour with. Um, do you call it Celtic Thunder or Celtic Thunder? Yeah, Celtic Thunder is who I'm out with right now. Yeah, tell me about um, them. Oh, it's a totally new experience. Um, so let's see. I play with this artist named AJ Fullerton, who's actually sitting behind me right now. Yeah. Say what up, AJ. What's up? <laughs> Um, and AJ is an incredible, uh, like, roots, blues, slash Americana singer and guitar player in Denver. And I've been playing with him for, um, how long have we been playing together, AJ? Like, 10 years? Going on 10 years, probably, on and off? Yeah. So AJ and I go way back. And um, uh, the most recent new member of AJ's band is this Peter uh, is this keyboard player named Peter and he is from Ireland and has been touring with this Irish group called Celtic Thunder for the better part of a decade as well and so he just kind of Celtic Thunder needed a new backing band and mm -hmm. he basically brought the AJ Fullerton band on board nice um, so is Celtic Thunder like the Pogues like is it like, is there some, some, uh, some grit in there? No. <laughs> um, there's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's a lot of grit. Um, but the singers are incredible. It's like led by four really amazing singers. And they uh, just, they're like the, you know, the, the spotlights on the four singers. Yeah, yeah, nice. And, but they're, yeah, I can't say enough good things about how talented they are and, like, just the dynamic, like, they just control the show with the dynamics of their of their voices. And and so, yeah. but it's mostly, I think there's only one or two songs in the whole set that are, like, 
written by or for Celtic Thunder, and the uh-huh. rest are like traditional, either traditional Irish. I wouldn't call them traditional Irish songs, but some of them are like pop pop rock songs that have roots to Irish music. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a eclectic set of music, I would say. Um, but it's fun. Like, yeah, like we're playing the most beautiful theaters I've yeah. ever been to. We're at the Fox theater in Detroit right yeah. now, which is like, I just walked in this morning and it was like, yeah, it's mind blowingly beautiful in here. Okay. Um, and I'm on a tour bus for the first time, which is which is really exciting and fun. Um, and I get to do it with uh, with some great buds. So yeah, man, it's a it's a good experience for sure. You earned it. Thank you. you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I mean, it, I mean, it started when you were eight years old, and now you're on a tour bus and playing for thousands of people. You know, it's it's rewarding. Yeah, yeah in that sense, for sure. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, obviously back home, Pink Fuzz is, is kind of the, uh, the, uh, one of the, one of the main groups that I play with and we, uh, we tour a lot as well. Yes. When I get back home, we're going to be, going to be hitting it hard as well. Yeah. How many bands do you consider yourself a member of? That's hard to say, you know, um, there's there's pink fuzz and there's H a Fullerton. Yeah. Those are kind of the main ones and most, and then, um, Grace divine, I would also say is an yeah. artist I've been playing with, um, who I'm more like a member of, of her band. Mm-hmm. Um, most other situations are like, I'll, I'll be maybe a, a first call drummer. Yeah. And then, uh, if I can't make it though, like, then there's subs that know know the material. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It pops up on Facebook or whatever, like like some event or some band is is like promoting itself and there's a band photo and it's like, oh, there's Forrest again, you know? <laughs> and you can't really do that with the lead singer. You can't be like, here's this band, here's this band. It's all, <laughs> yeah. but, you can, but you can do that with a drummer, you know? Yeah. Oh no. Drummers are, uh, they're uh, in demand. Yeah. Around around these parts for sure yeah. so it's, uh, we're lucky in that sense yeah well yeah. thank you so much for talking with me and for waking up so early yeah yeah luckily yeah. it's 10 o'clock where i am so i had a oh, couple, yeah. couple hours on you yeah. but uh <laughs> still it's an early morning Coffee yeah is needed. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go grab some right now all right well yeah great talking to you adam thanks uh thanks for having me on absolutely all right cheers man Give you another hour, then I gotta run, I gotta fly away, leave you to fall, leave you to stuff your flowers. That was the great young drummer Forrest Raup of Pink Fuzz and a lot of other bands. Um, but I love how Forrest said that uh, Pink Fuzz is his home, and you know, John and Lulu are amazing musicians and, and people um I look out for the new album by pink fuzz as yet unnamed um in january and they're also playing the uh, the bluebird theater in denver on january 13th um i'm playing drums with rolling harvest 
at the Caribou Room up in Nederland on uh, Saturday, October 28th. So uh, come say hi or come armed with criticisms of my high stash and my drumming or anything else, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's always welcome and, and uh, probably deserved. Uh, thanks for listening. And please do leave a review of Mile High Stash at Apple Podcast if you can. And drop even a few dollars at milehighstash.com via the donate button or even uh, on Venmo at AdamIce9. Thanks for listening. And we will see you right here next week, as usual. Go on and give oblivion a shot. Go on and fade to gray. You got to. Maybe you'll do better without God, and maybe I'll do better without you. Well, I wish I would.